three, two, one. Hello and welcome. In this podcast, Innovating for the Earth, we're telling the story of an Australian company, Calix, and how its groundbreaking innovative technology, which has been described by some as the reinvention of the kiln, has been used in many industries, cement, wastewater and more, to help them operate in a more sustainable way by, for example, reducing the amount of carbon dioxide they emit. In this episode, we're going to focus on what the Calix technology is doing in the lime industry. And I'm joined by Adam Vincent. Adam is a chemical engineer who's been with Calix for over 11 years. He's previously been their general manager of research and development and is currently their general manager of lime decarbonisation. And it is indeed lime we're talking with him about today. G'day, Adam. G'day, James. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Let's talk lime. Let's go. Before we get into calyx and lime, uh, what is lime? What is it used for? Lime. Uh, yeah, look, lime's a little bit of a, it can be a bit of a catch-all uh, term for a number of different products. But, I mean, fundamentally, lime is calcium oxide, which is a, uh, <laughs> a chemical formula, a little bit boring, perhaps. Um, but it can also use, be used to describe calcium hydroxide, which is uh, when you add water to calcium oxide. And sometimes it, it can be used to describe just uh, limestone, um, which is calcium carbonate, which is the raw material that... Um, most people would would know about because it's uh it, you know it's quite um, ubiquitous. Um, yeah, it's look it's used in a whole lot of uh, applications, actually, James. So it's sort of early days. It was a um, it was used as a mortar uh, and things like that. So I guess the early I don't know our our early ancestors probably accidentally made lime when they were stacking limestone around their fires and things like that. And by doing that, they converted the limestone to, to lime and then it got wet and maybe it mixed in with some, some ash from the fire and things like that. And they were able to make some crude cements and, and, and mortars and things. And uh, so it, was a, it, it played a big role, um, I guess, through the, you know, through the early centuries and things like that, just as a, as a, building, as a crude building product. So, so to get from limestone to lime, it, the application of heat application of heat and that and that uh, and that's fundamentally you know what we what we do as a business we add we add heat to to minerals um and that's how you make and that's how you make lime yeah in this case from from limestone calcium carbonate um to to calcium oxide and and co2 is evolved in that process which which wasn't a problem for uh, for our early ancestors but of course is um a problem for us today um with global warming and things so so just give us a sense of the size of the lime industry and the range of applications around the world. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a widely used um, product, actually. It's it, um, last, or in sort of 2020, around about 420 million tonnes of lime was produced um, worldwide. Um, and, and that's a market size of about, uh, you know, close to 50 billion US dollars um, so it's it's a, it's a significant market that most people probably don't appreciate in terms of the size um, it's still expected to grow uh, quite rapidly through to sort of the middle of this decade um, to perhaps about 530 million tons so it's a, it's a growing it's still a growing business um, I think that there's opportunities for 
lots of other applications in the future and I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later um, when we get into the detail of the technology applications and things like that but today I mean lime's used in some huge industries like steel and aluminium pulp and paper glass manufacture of course it's used in agriculture um, sewage treatment and water treatment it, it plays a big role in in scrubbing um, things like sulfur dioxide from from exhaust streams and things like that so it's it, it is a widely used it is a widely used product and in the building industry and in the building industry yeah i mean fundamentally cement that we that we know and love um is is fundamentally lime uh mixed with with silica with sand you know that's sort of kind of the basic formula so if you extend you know if you extend the use of of lime into cement um that market size grows by about tenfold so um but as a business in Calex, we actually treat the two streams separately, even though it's the same reaction. You start with uh, limestone and you make lime um, for use either as just a lime product or uh, in cement. But we, we run two separate business streams in Calex because we feel that they're a slightly different focus across the two different businesses. So I look after the lime side and one of my colleagues, Dan Rennie, looks after the cement side and it both we both come under the um, what we call the CO two business, the lilac business within within Calix. Yeah, and we've talked to Dan about uh, about Calix's involvement in 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 cement in another episode. Um, mm. So yeah, that was the cement episode. This is the other uses of lime episode. So Indeed. just looking at those other uses of lime that you're responsible for, how much? CO2 emissions does do those other uses of lime contribute? Mm. Uh, look, individually, some of those industries produce a huge amount of CO2. Um, you know, take steel for example. Um, steel requires coal in a lot of cases to to be made. Um, lime is added as an additive to help with the process. So the emissions from the lime in that case are quite small compared to the making steel. Um, but they're still not an insignificant part of the footprint of steel manufacture. For example, um, aluminium sorry, fits into the same category. It's a big user of electricity, but it also uses quite a bit of lime, for example. Um, but, I mean, as a, as a rule of thumb, um, when, you, when you make lime, uh, you, you make a tonne of lime, you, you produce about one tonne of CO2. So collectively, if those industries are using millions of tonnes of, of lime, um, they're, they're responsible, in effect, for millions of tonnes of CO2 emissions as well from that lime. So it, it kind of, in a way, if steel, for example, if steel can solve its, um, you know, its carbon issue around making the steel using hydrogen and these sorts of things, they still need to look at the lime uh, that they use mm. and, and, and neutralising the um the impact of that. So now we're getting to it. We've got a, a, the lime industry vital with so many applications mm -hmm. producing lots of carbon dioxide pumping up into the atmosphere. This is the crucial question. How can Calix technology be used to reduce emissions in the lime industry? Yeah, this is a lot easier with a whiteboard, James, and I'll, I'll try not to be, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try not to be uh, overly technical. But um I mean, essentially, uh, our, our technology, and um, it's been explained in other podcasts, but I'll, I'll quickly rehash. Um, our, our technology is a, is a kiln. It heats up minerals, uh, not, not unlike the technologies that have been around for centuries, as I said earlier. Um, but the, the, the key and fundamental difference is that we, we keep uh, the heating source 
separate from the mineral. So we, we feed uh, limestone. Um, it's it's crushed to a to a fine size, almost like a talc size. We feed that into a steel reactor, uh, and on the outside of that reactor, we apply heat. Um, that means that the the heat source and and the mineral, the limestone in this case, are not are not uh, contacting each other. So as the limestone uh, moves through our reactor, it heats up, and as it heats up, it starts to produce carbon dioxide uh, and and lime. Um, the carbon dioxide that's produced inside our reactor uh, is a pure stream of carbon dioxide because it's not mixed with any fuels from sorry, it's not mixed with any gases from the from the fuels on on the outside of the reactor. So by keeping it separate, we can produce a pure stream of CO2. This is the CO2 that comes off the limestone. Okay, this is an important distinction. Um, we refer to that as the process CO2. The process CO2 accounts for around 70% of the total CO2 produced when, when lime is made. The rest of it would come from the fuel, if it's a, if it's a carbon-based fuel. Um, so it's the process CO2 that we're, that we're capturing. On, on the fuel side, of course, um, there are the options to move to uh, renewable electricity, for example, to provide the heat, uh, hydrogen. Uh, there's capture options for the fuel side that may work, we think, work better uh, when used in conjunction with our technology because you're reducing the total load that those technologies have to capture from the stream. So it's the process CO2 that we're focused on, but we believe, you know, with changes to the fuel sources and things like that, that we can achieve 100% uh, CO2 capture or effectively um, zero emissions lime. So that's a great explanation of of the process of, of how Calix technology removes carbon dioxide from the creation of lime. Now let's talk about how you started working in the industry. How did Calix begin to work in the lime industry? Yes, when I um when I joined uh, a Calix around about eleven years ago, uh, James, we were focusing on building a um, just a, a small pilot plant, and our focus was on making magnesium oxide, um, which is similar to calcium oxide, of course. They both come from um, a carbonate form, so they both produce CO2 when they're, when they're reacted. Um, the, the, the focus for the business at that point in time was around CO2 capture, um, but magnesium oxide was also seen as a potential product stream for us um, to allow us to get you know some early... Um, sort of establishment around cash flow and things like that. So there was a big focus on magnesium oxide, but we knew the prize was ultimately lime uh, and cement. So, you know, the magnesium oxide was the introduction for us. Um, the early reactors that we built, uh, including the pilot reactor and our first commercial reactor, were built to make magnesium oxide. Um, so fundamentally, they they actually weren't designed with sufficient temperature, um, which is a key thing that I'll talk a bit more about when we get into the technology side a bit. Um, but fundamentally, they weren't designed to make lime. But we were able to uh, demonstrate small conversions of, of, of lime uh, to lime from, from limestone. Um, but I think fundamentally for us, building those reactors was really important for credibility, particularly the commercial demonstrator, because for making magnesium oxide, because we could point to that. Uh, and then we could go and seek um, go and seek funding to to build a, a lime version of that plant. And by having one on the ground and of about the right scale, 
um, gave people confidence that we could do that. So in um, in 2015, uh, we we applied for a Horizon 2020 European Union uh, grant uh, to build a, a demonstrator um, for lime and cement. Uh, and in 2000, and, we, we were successful in winning that grant. And that project kicked off in 2016 um, to build this demonstrator plant uh, in Belgium. And I uh, I was lucky enough to, to be the... Um, project manager for that project uh, and so I, I took my family across to to Europe for a couple of years and we worked on that on that project and that this was really the key um, breaking point for us in terms of not not breaking in a negative way James in a positive way um, for us uh, in this in this space so so through that project we were we were able to demonstrate um, that fundamentally our technology could convert limestone to lime uh, at a rate and an extent um, that was commercially viable. So that was a five-year project that had a big front-end R&D um, component to it, um, but ultimately we built the plant. Um, we built the plant on time and on budget, um, and it, you know, there were challenges, of course, but um, you know, it, it fundamentally proved that we could work in this space. Because it's all very well being, you know, uh, going to the market and saying this is a good environmental solution. We're going to capture the carbon dioxide, but you've got to prove that you're a good economic solution too, don't you? Of course, yeah, that's that. That's right. Um, and and I think this, it, unfortunately, this space, at, because it's in its infancy, is a bit littered with um, with technologies that sound good on paper but haven't quite proven themselves at, at scale. Um, and, and you know, I think we through this project, we certainly we certainly did that. We we did enough, and we and we collected enough data um, to understand what our longer term operating operating costs will be, uh, and our capital costs. Um, and and they, you know, we, we we feel we're very competitive in this space. I mean, ultimately, the market will decide, of course, but um, the market's talking to us, so that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, you're in the game. We're you don't know game. if you're going to win, but you're definitely in the game. Indeed. Um, and you're confident you're going to win, of course. Now, you mentioned challenges earlier. What were some of the challenges and problems, and how did you overcome and deal with them? It's it's a good question. There, there of course, were um, uh, challenges um, for this project. That, that the fact that um, we were able to 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 win uh, government grant funding for this project meant there had to be challenges. Really, that the the point of that program is to is to support um, mid range. Uh, technologies to through to sort of commercialization stage um, so we had to show that there were a number of areas that we needed to scale up in uh, risks that we needed to address uh, as part of the project and I, I mentioned earlier about um, I mentioned earlier about temperature and temperature is really the key thing here um, magnesium oxide we can produce let's say at 750 degrees uh, inside the reactor to make lime we need at least 900 degrees um, and remember that our our technology uses a steel reactor, uh, and it's separated from the from the fuel source. That steel reactor has to reach temperatures in excess of a thousand degrees, um, and preferably ten fifty and maybe even higher um, for us to achieve those those temperatures inside. And th- this is this is it at the limit of of even exotic steel capability. So, you know, fundamentally, we had to show with this. With this uh, with this project that we could 
you know continuously run a reactor at these sorts of temperatures um and they would and they would uh not fail um structurally uh, of course we didn't expect them to fail instantaneously but that yeah, over a period of time. I mean, this technology has to, you know, these reactors have to last years before they're before they're replaced. So uh, we did that. But we, as I mentioned earlier, we had a, a front end R and D uh, component to this project, and that was critical. So we did a lot of testing uh, with our partners. There was a number, of, quite a few partners in this project. We obviously did a lot of testing. We did a lot of engineering, uh, desktop engineering, uh, looking at um, how the steels will behave at these temperatures. It's interesting because these steels, as I said, they're, they're getting to the limit and there's actually not a lot of data um, about how they perform at these temperatures. We, we, were, we were creating it uh, <laughs> effectively. So, and, and, and were you were you surprised at any point? I think, we've been, I think we have been surprised at, at how well these steels perform at these higher temperatures. Um, we, we, were, we, we were told in no uncertain terms by our engineering manager not to go above 1,050. Um, but we but through the project we we pushed it higher than that. Um, and that, again, that was um, that was. Uh, I hope I'm not giving away too many trade secrets. That might be edited out. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, we, we pushed it beyond that, and you know, and the steels have proven to be very good. Um, so that was a key thing for us. Another couple of key risks for the project were again around the reactor, um, how how the product might foul the inside of the reactor because this is very important that we get good heat transfer from the outside of the reactor to the inside and if you get material building up on the reactor walls it can really reduce performance i mean this is a big thing in boilers and these sorts of things right but key for us as well Um, we had a confidence coming into the project because we'd had all the experience with our our current plant running on magnesium oxide but a slightly different product um, potentially a bit more sticky and things like that um, but that all that proved uh, as we expected, which was fantastic. Um, it, corrosion is another issue. Uh, if if the if the limestone has certain elements in it like sulfur or chlorine, these can attack the the reactor. So we needed to understand at least initially um, what uh, what those materials would do to our steel at these temperatures. So again, that was part of a big upfront program with one of our partners. Um, they looked at fouling, they looked at corrosion, we built our confidence, we put um, we put coupons in the reactor and we pulled them out after a period of time and they were inspected and we looked at all those sorts of things. And the corrosion rates, which we knew there would be some corrosion rates, quite slow, um, they actually, we confirmed that they were slow and acceptable. So these were really important um, risk mitigation issues that we had to deal with within the project. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, and there were, of course, there were other issues. Um, this was an R and D project fundamentally, so you know, as we built it and started to run, of course, you find you find other issues, and um, I think we we always sort of comfort ourselves and say, okay, a lot of that was around the fringes, uh, sort of outside of the core technology. So you know, issues with some flowability, but we understand why. Um, you know, we had issues with just with some of the fundamental aspects of the of the project. You know burner supply and all these sorts of things but that's just a project of this scale you're going to get those sorts of challenges and of course the biggest challenge the biggest challenge was meeting budget james <laughs> and so our, our budget for this project did you? hey yes we did and uh but you've got to cut i mean you, you need to have plan you, know, you need to have plan b's all the time right with these things because you know you you, you want to build everything um but the reality is you can't and so there was always through the project there was always a case of 
we'd love to have that, but we can get away with this. And as the thing got, you know, as things got tight, we had to say, well, we have to ditch that, we have to ditch that, but we can't lose this fundamental piece. Uh, and we managed to do that, and we managed to bring the project in on, on, on budget. So, yeah, lots of, lots of challenges. Yeah, wow. And um, so now you've been through that process, which is essentially a process of experimentation, of learning, of refining, of, of, of improving. What does the future hold for, for Calix in the lime industry? What are the plans, as much as you're able to share? <laughs> yeah, look, I, we... Um so I, th- I mentioned earlier about the the, the, the slightly separate focus between uh, lime and cement, and I think it's it gets important now for this discussion because uh, let, let's say we've got a bit where we think commercially we're a little ahead on the on the lime side. That the cement piece is is currently involved in uh, a scale up of the Lilac One project, which was the project I was talking about. Lilac Two, you know, it's looking at multiple tubes and all sorts of things. The lime industry is smaller. The, the calciners are smaller. So even a single calciner that, of the size we built in the Lilac project could be a commercial size plant. So our our focus in lime is more now around commercialisation. Um, but we do accept that we're still coming from a, a effectively an R&D uh, project um, to a commercial plant. So... You know that the the language we use is commercial demonstrator. Um, you know the expectation is that we will be building calciners um, that are commercial, um, but may need you know a little bit of technical development. And that's the that's the conversation we're having with the with the industry, and we're getting a good hearing. Um, you know, not every manufacturer wants that. Some of them don't want any risk, but they do realise that they've got this CO two challenge in front of them. <laughs> And and they're you know they're talking to us. So you know we've got a few projects now into uh, into feed studies, um, which is great. So I'm hoping that you know over the next couple of years we're bringing on multiple commercial demonstrators um, in the in the lime space. And and more broadly, what do do you see any big changes that might occur in the lime industry over the next decade? Yeah, look, it's um. I mean, initially, the, the the lime industry has this the CO two issue they have to they have to face. Um, it's hitting some of them already, uh, so clearly there there will be change um, in the industry over the next decade and more thirty years, really, if we if we take all of the all of the time to get to net zero. Um, but I think the reality of, of of carbon pricing, particularly in Europe, and I think that's starting to spread out around the world now, is that these companies will have to act sooner. So I think there'll be I think there'll be initial take up. I don't think companies will necessarily 100% go to CO2 capture for their fleet because they don't have to. And of course, there's a huge cost associated with that. So I expect that we'll start to, you know, I mean, from Calix's point of view, we'd like to see if there's three calciners on a site, we'd like to see one of them as a Calix calciner first off. And then, of course, we grow out from there. Um, and I think that's the industry. I think the industry will be doing, they'll be taking bites. To get their CO2 footprints down, um, they might be changing fuels, looking at our type of technology and these other capture technologies in the and just sort of start to scale them out. Um, but it's a huge challenge, you know. There is we're talking you know half a billion tons of, of CO2 capture potentially in this industry, so that's not going to happen overnight. It's a huge task, um, and I think they'll. I mean, the reality is there'll be a sharing of technology across that challenge. Um, and we're, you know, obviously, we're hoping we're a big part of that. 
Um, the, look, the lime industry in this space, um, you know, the lime industry has has some um, bigger opportunities actually. Um, so, you know, lime currently isn't really used for the absorption of CO two, but it can do that. So, if you make lime. Uh, if you expose it to a rich CO2 environment, of course, the CO2 can go back onto the lime and you can make limestone again. Um, so you can absorb CO2 from different processes this way as much as you can drive it off the lime. So if you if you capture the CO2 when you produce the lime in, in a calyx calciner, for example, and then you go and absorb that absorb CO2 from another application and bring that limestone back, in fact, you loop it, you know, through this process, and you're storing the CO2 as you're as you're calcining it, then you can use lime as an absorber of CO2 from different processes. So there's a play here. Right. Um, and then what do you do with all that limestone? Well, the limestone just loops around effectively, James. So it so the limestone, the lime collects the CO2. Oh, <clears throat> the limestone comes back to the to the calyx plant. We calcine it again. We store the CO2 that comes off. And then the lime goes back, gets turned into limestone, and effectively you, you've got a looping system where you're taking CO2 out of another process and you're, store, you're effectively then storing that after you've calcined it again. So it's, it's, just, it's referred to as calcium looping, um, and it can be applied to lots of different applications. We're, we've recently been talking to the shipping industry. Um, shipping's a huge contributor to global warming, as is cement and these sorts of things. Um, and, and they're looking for options. Um, now, one of those potentially, and we've been talking to them, is can we put lime on a ship? Uh, can we absorb the CO2 from their exhaust stream on the ship and make limestone, return that limestone to the calciner and calcine it again, and we and we have a loop set up. The interesting thing about this particular application... Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> it, it, the interesting thing about this particular application is that when you absorb the CO2 from the exhaust on the boat, you actually produce energy, okay? So when you, when you take the CO2 off the limestone, it uses energy, but when you put it back on, it produces energy. Um, and if you, can, if you can recover some of that energy or most of it and put that and help drive the boat with that, then you can cut their fuel emissions as well. Their fuel consumption. So that the whole concept. Fantastic. That, well, it's a really interesting idea. It's got a little way to go, James. I'd, I'd put it quite low on the TR scale, but the concepts are, you know, are real. I mean, it's 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 just another form of what we call calcium looping, and and th- there are other examples of this. Um, you'll you'll hear about and the, the things like direct air capture is becoming a, a a catchphrase, and that's where. CO2 is actually directly absorbed out of the atmosphere. Um, and this is being talked about because, you know, there's a belief that we'll have to be taking CO2 out of the atmosphere, not just stopping putting it into the atmosphere. Um, so, you know, one of the ways of doing that is to actually remove it directly from the air. Uh, and you can use, you know, you could potentially use lime in that kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, Adam, before you were general manager of lime decarbonation at Calix, you were general manager of research and development, moving uh, beyond the lime industry for a moment. What do you see as the main challenges and opportunities for Calix over the next few years? Yeah, look, I think the challenge, um, I think the challenge for us as a business is that we we have to ma- maintain our. You have to maintain innovation. <laughs> we're built on innovation, James. You have to maintain innovation. 
but you've also got to get commercial, right? So it's that balancing act now of um, maintaining innovation while while we grow the business, you know, to stand on its own two feet. And that's a real, I think that's a real, that's a challenge for sure um, because it requires that that ongoing commitment to innovation. And, you know, we've been very innovative. Um, you know, the, the, the business is built on innovation, writing patents, these sorts of things. Um, but we've also been heavily supported by government with grants and tax rebates and all these sorts of things, right? But now it's time for the business to become commercial. So that that's a challenge. But I think the opportunities on the other side are, I, I, you know, I, I think, yeah. Almost paradoxically, when, when businesses start with a groundbreaking technology like Calix's, they have to be innovative to survive. And paradoxically, when they get some success, it's often the most challenging time for innovation because everyone kind of thinks, oh, we can relax now, we're doing it right, let's just keep going. So it's it's great that you've identified that as a challenge. Success can actually uh, remove the, the, the terrifying need to be innovative and make everyone feel a bit comfortable. Indeed. <laughs> bites, bites the nails of innovation or something like that, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, so I think that is it. Yeah, I think that's definitely a challenge for the business. I mean, the right, you know, we absolutely got the right people running the business and things like that at the moment. And um, you know, I think it's the innovative, innovative side of the of the business that still attracts uh, investors and things. So you know, it, it is just a matter of keeping the balance um, as we move forward. Um, but yeah. I think I think on the opportunity side, it's you know, it's it's almost endless. You know, we've we've touched um, a number of. The carbonates, magnesium carbonate, calcium carbonate, um, but there are many processes that use uh, kilns and calciners um, in their in their processes. Um, and I think what we're really learning is that apart from CO two capture, apart from carbon dioxide capture, um, our calciner does two other things really well. Um, one is it's temperature control, so we can we can. We can raise the temperature of the of the product to exactly the temperature that it needs to be, and not overcook it, um, which is a, a big problem for for a lot of kilns. Um, that they they tend to have to overheat the product to get a result. Um, and the other one is that we can control the atmosphere inside our reactor, um, and this can be very important if you don't want oxygen or, or these sorts of things. I mean, it's a little technical, but because it's a because it's separated from the rest of the process, we can make the atmosphere whatever we want, essentially. So we could add hydrogen, for example, and keep air out. So we can do those sorts of reactions and things like that. Um, so, I mean, a good example is um, we, we have a project at the moment where we're looking at calcining a, a, a lithium-containing ore called spodumene. Um, and the, if, you can contr- if you can calcine this material... Uh, and not overheat it, you can avoid melting some of the silica and making it sort of um, glassy. And that's really beneficial for extracting the lithium from these from these grades. So the idea that we can just hit that temperature but not go any higher is really beneficial in that kind of application. So we've got a project underway at the moment in feasibility study, and we're hoping that that turns into something. There's quite a few other areas that we're looking at, but actually that's another division within Calix uh, that we call sustainable processing. So um, you, you may or may not uh, uh, talk to the, the general manager of that project at some point yes. in the future but of that area. But um, Indeed. Yes. So, yeah, there are lots, lots and lots of opportunities. A lot going on. Indeed. Um, finally, a, a, a more personal question. In your time at Calix, one highlight 
and one low light. One highlight. <laughs> that's, Just one. That's tough. Yeah, and lots of things. Um, look, I think winning the Lilac Grant um, was so important for us. You know, it was the culmination of, of years of work, recognition that the technology uh, could work um, for that application, really credibility you know, it gave us a lot of credibility uh, and, and recognition. So that was that was incredible. Um, and I also uh, got the opportunity to live in, in, in you know overseas for a couple of years. So it was um, and manage that project. So it was, that was a real highlight. Um, low lights. There hasn't really been many actually, but I th- we you know as a business we were a startup, so we went through the valley of death as uh, most companies go through, where you're still trying to convince <laughs> investors that you've got something worthwhile. Um, and of course, you, you, most of these companies are, aren't overcapitalized, so you know things get very tight. So, you know, there was a period there where you know we were waiting for that uh, next big um, investment to come. Um, yep. it, it came eventually, but in the interim, you know, there was uh, bootstraps, as uh, as our CEO likes to call it. Um, yeah, and, and and get through, but we did that. Um, but yeah, that was you know that was a that was a stressful period for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, mm. uh, good on you for getting through it. The um, future looks really interesting. Um, Adam, thank you so much for joining us on Innovating for the Earth. Well done. Thanks, James. <laughs> <laughs>